Wow. That's all I can say about this upcoming episode of Better on Draft Podcast number 243. We had Greg Hall, former brewmaster of Goose Island, current owner of Virtue Cider, as well as Mike Smith, the brand ambassador for the Bourbon County Brand Series on a special Thursday night episode. Guys, you can see all of our live episodes 7 p.m. Eastern, betterondraft.tv or facebook.com forward slash betterondraft. Talking everything from the Good Food Award to Cooking with the Dad to the Grit and Grain series, we reached every single aspect that we could within the one-hour time frame that we had with Mike and Greg. Check out our sponsors, Zatuna Liquor over in Rochester Hills and, of course, North Center Brewing over in Northville, Michigan. And remember to like us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Better on Draft, Untapped, and Twitch, Bod Podcast, as well as soon we'll be launching our TikTok and our Snapchat. And we will be back live November 20th with Joe Short of Shorts Brewing. Cheers. Whether your beer is in a bottle, can, or glass, kick back and relax. It's Better on Draft. And we are live, a special Thursday night edition, episode 243, Better on Draft podcast. I hope you all are uh, relaxing, having a good time, enjoying the evening. It is a Thursday, so we're not going to get too drunk tonight, but that doesn't mean we're not going to have some amazing beer. My name is Ken, and I am drinking a very special beer from the 2020 uh, series, and I wanted to make sure I got it right, so I have the bottle in front of me. This is the Bourbon County uh, Stout A. Aged in 2019 Old Forester Birthday Bourbon Barrels. Um, very delicious, very smooth, easy to drink. Um, and I'm going to bring in one of our very first guests. He is currently the brand ambassador, uh, senior brand ambassador, I believe is his title, of uh, Goose Island. Mike Smith, how you doing, Mike? Good. Thanks for having me tonight. Always excited to uh, talk about Bourbon County and drink a little bit uh, of it uh, any time of the week. So, Well, I have Cheers. to know, what are you drinking right now? As you're taking well, I, I went, uh, I went back. I just went into the cellar and I got a, a bottle of 2013 original. Okay. So this was uh, about as long as I've been at the company. So I thought it'd be appropriate to see how it's holding up and it is delicious. Well, we appreciate you uh, joining us. I do want to ask the very first question within the realm of Bourbon County. And I think it's everyone's, it's on everyone's mind right now because COVID is on everyone's mind right now. Mm -hmm. Um, But how does 2020's release of Bourbon County look this year? And do you think anything is going to change for future years um, releases of Bourbon County? Uh, It's a great question. It's something that uh, many, many months ago when we were uh, just going to do a two week lockdown, uh, we definitely were going full steam ahead at uh, having a traditional Black Friday release. Um, As things developed over the summer, though, um, we started shifting gears and making plans to what you uh, are seeing right now. We we spent uh, many, many Zoom meetings figuring out the best way to communicate to um, all of our wholesalers and our retail partners and provide them a couple different options of safely uh, releasing this beer. Um, It never crossed our mind, not even once, to uh, really uh, postpone the release of Bourbon County this year. It's it's something that uh, internally we all really look forward to it, and we know a lot of fans across the country and in the world do now. Um, so we just wanted to figure out the, the best way to get it into people's hands. And, and we put together some plans, uh, and all of our retailers were really receptive of it. 
you know, making sure that uh, social distancing is, is the first and, and utmost uh, priority, doing lottery systems, making sure that people know uh, if they did win uh, an allocation of any of the Bourbon County uh, well ahead of time to make plans and then have a curbside pickup um, for almost everybody. So uh, very good feedback from, from all of our, our retailers. Um, a lot of people are excited uh, about uh, still getting this year's variants. I think it's it's one of the best lineups ever, and I've been a fan for over 10 years. Um, every year, it seems we uh, uh, outdo ourselves. And the third question you asked, I believe, in the future, how is this going to impact us? Um, hopefully, uh, we'll get back to, to normal uh, next year. Um, if not, then uh, we know how to run it uh, during a situation like this. So, All right. Well, I'm going to bring in one of my co-hosts. Dan, how are you doing today? Hey, I'm doing pretty good. What uh, what are you drinking over there? I'm going with the best one. I'm going with the original. No adjuncts. Yeah, there here. you go. Yes. <laughs> That's the uh, the 2020. Yes, um, correct. I am sorry. This is the 2020 regular uh, standard BCBS. Got to make sure because Mike's drinking the 2013, you're drinking the 2020, and the guest that is also on the show that you're bringing in is drinking another variant. Yes. Um. So I am bringing in Greg. How are you doing tonight, Greg? Up, oh, you're muted, Greg. Welcome to 2020. <laughs> I'm doing great. Um, it's a cool night over here in Fenville, so perfect night for a fire in the fireplace and some 2010 Bourbon County. Oh, even better. I'm a little jealous as far as the fire goes. It's about 80 degrees here where I'm at. Um, so I wanted to ask you about this. Um, you know, creating BCBS had as your thousandth batch had to put a lot of pressure on you. Um, but looking forward, what are your expectations or pressures you're thinking you'll see uh, utilizing liquor barrels? Well, um, you know, I think uh, bourbon was a great uh, gateway into uh, barrels for me. I was a, a, a bourbon drinker as well. And uh, since then, both Goose and, and now me at Virtue have gone into wine barrels and uh, I'm uh, playing around with, we're going to be releasing a cognac barrel cider this fall. I, I, every barrel is a little bit different. And, and actually every barrel within a batch might be a little bit different. So uh, that's one of the things that I think is, is really fun about barrel aging beer is brewing is all about control. You know, you control the recipe, the water, the water temp, the water chemistry, all that, all the way through, you're, you're controlling everything to the degree um, until you put it in a barrel and then the barrel's in control. And you cannot have a absolute expectation of what's going to come out of the barrel because you put the same bear in 10 barrels, you might get 10 different out there. So you got to taste them all and then uh, put the best blend together. Perfect. Now, do you have any liquor barrels you like working with? Are there any you're looking forward to working with that you haven't yet in the future? Um, well, on the on the um, the cider side, we use uh, uh, generally we're using Heaven Hill um, barrels, although we use a little bit of everything, um, and we like to go with eight to uh, twelve years. That's kind of the sweet spot for us, I think. Um, we are looking at, uh, we've, we've used some rye barrels. We've actually used some, uh, Bourbon County stout barrels too, which is pretty cool. So we took some 
some barrels that Goose had used and then put a cider in those. And of course it turned out a little different. So they're, they're all different. Um, I think what Goose is doing now with really focusing many of the variants on the barrels is uh, the coolest possible way to do it uh, because the barrels are so, so different. And you can, you can taste that so much within the, within the uh, different releases. I've got a bottle of um, rare here, which we did in the um, uh, Pappy barrels back in 2008 for two years. And, uh, you know, it, it was different than anything we'd ever done. Mike, you, you can tell as soon as the barrels came in when they opened that truck up, uh, the smell was so different than what we were used to from using a lot of bean barrels and some heaven hill barrels. So, uh, the barrel to me is the, the most exciting part. Awesome. Thank you so much. We Thank also you. have Wendy, one of our co-hosts. How you doing, Wendy? Why don't you tell us what, uh, what you're drinking over there? I am drinking the special stout number four, which is the oatmeal stout. Um, it, the tagline talks about breakfast, and I definitely am getting that diner special in that flavor. It's really good. It's got a great mouthfeel. I love it. Um, my question, though, is, Mike, I'm kind of a avid cook myself, and um, I was <laughs> trolling through the uh, Goose Island YouTube, and I saw the Cooking with a Dad series. But I noticed that it's been a couple years since you've done it, so I just wondered... Uh, what have you been cooking with lately? Or is there any special foods or beers that you like to use? Oh, those were, those were a lot of fun to do. That's fun. Um, we, I did some, uh, bourbon County, uh, waffles the other day, actually. Um, nice. we did with special number four, uh, there's uh, Bissell maple farms makes a bourbon barrel aged maple syrup, um, that we used in that beer. So if you make the BCS pancakes with their syrup, it's, it's really a, a good treat, but, uh, um, yeah, this, the last eight months I've been doing a lot of cooking, uh, with dad at home, um, probably more in the, the lines of the mac and cheese, hot dogs, tacos in a bag, um, <laughs> mentality. Um, but yeah, not, nothing too crazy. I, I usually like to, to bring my kids into it and, uh, do some easier recipes to, to show them the basics of cooking. Um, because truth be told, I've, I've never really graduated from that level myself. So anything that's a little bit easier to, to make and just show them the ropes is what I've been on. That tends to be where I stick with too. <laughs> <laughs> Very approachable is the way I look at it. Right. All righty. Well, while the three of us are drinking bourbon counties, we have Rob, the last host of uh, tonight. What are you drinking over there? Uh, so I am drinking from virtue cider. I'm drinking the mitten, which is a bourbon barrel aged cider, which is kicking in at a nice comfy 7.1%. You can definitely taste the bourbon, uh, the, the barrel, like throughout. It's, it's very, it's, it's pretty damn tasty. Um, but actually, I wanted to start with Greg, really, to just kind of just talk about the cider. And um, so, Greg, with the license that Virtue has, um, you've pretty much stuck with only ciders, but kind of just hitting every corner of the category in ciders. Um, I'm curious, are there any thoughts to move to any other products at Virtue um, or possibly doing any type of teaming up with local breweries to do kind of a home and home uh, beer cider team up? 
We've talked about that with some local um, local brewers right around us. Uh, Way Post is a really fine little brew pub that's uh, 10 minutes away. Talked about doing that. Maybe something with Pete Crowley. Um, he comes by a lot uh, from uh, uh, Pete from Haymarket down the road a bit. Uh, but uh, we're, we're pretty happy right now with cider. We could do wine too, because technically um, we have a, a winery license. There's no such thing as a cider license. So uh, we get, because we're fruit, we get lumped in with wine. So we can make wine or cider. We haven't made any wine yet, but we've threatened to. So we'll see. Threatened to. And uh, just a, a quick reminder to everybody who is watching or listening. I'm not sure if we mentioned it before, but Greg is the former brewmaster at Goose Island, is currently the the owner of Virtue Cider uh, that is in, you said, Fenville, which I've never been to Fenville, but I, I think I have to make a trip out there. Um, so actually continuing on just a little bit, just talk about cider. Now, um, in a previous interview, I saw that you had said that cider is on, or, or rather cider is in a place where craft beer was in the 1990s. Um, now, despite kind of the current climate of what we're in right now, is from what you're seeing, is the cider market looking like it will grow faster, slower, or you know, at the same pace as craft beer? Well, um, you know, it was in the uh, in the kind of mid-teens, it was growing faster than craft beer ever grew. It started from a very small spot, as did craft beer. But we were um, we were doubling for about three four years there, uh, year over year, which I don't think beer ever did, and uh, it looked really good for cider. And then some knucklehead invented uh, hard seltzer, and uh, a lot of the gluten free market went there. But but uh, we're still growing. We've grown every year. This year we're not going to count this year because it's kind of tough uh, because of everything going on. But we've um, we have big plans for next year. Got some new ciders coming out, and uh, we're really focusing back on a lot of our our uh, bottle stuff, like the mitten and and mitten variants. Right now on the farm, we have not only the the mitten available, but we've got a cherry mitten, a blueberry mitten, and my favorite, a maple mitten, mm -hmm. uh, which is so good. And those are just available on draft at the farm. Yeah, that that sounds really good. And as you said, with the 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 knucklehead with the creating seltzer, is that is that seltzer market making a larger or large or larger impediment on on the growth? Um, you know, I think it depends on the cider. Uh, if you look at our friends at uh, Boston Beer, you know they they were growing pretty strong and had like 70 share with their cider angry orchard of the market and then as soon as uh, truly came out they stopped caring about cider and, and putting all their money behind truly so i think they picked that 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 one uh a lot of the michigan cider makers uh virtue vandermill blakes have continued to grow um year over year uh, but from a much smaller place. And it's kind of like uh, craft beer. You look at uh, the 90s when Sam Adams and um, Pete's Wicked Ale, if anybody remembers that, were the two big ones. 
and they had uh, they had an advantage of access to capacity because they were both contract producing, and they had um, uh, big distribution network. And all the smaller breweries, like at the time in the '90s, the Goose Islands, the Bells, uh, the uh, Deschutes, um, all sorts of them that are well known now as kind of old ones, uh, New Belgium. We were we were uh, limited by capacity, and that's one reason why we weren't growing as much as as Sam Adams was back in the '90s. Uh, and I think cider is kind of that exact same way. Uh, Angry Orchard, of course, is made by the same company as Sam Adams, and they have access to um, production at their brewery in Cincinnati to make the cider. So they could make a lot of it really quickly. Whereas um, all of the Michigan cider makers I talked about, as well as uh, cider makers all over the country, had much more limited distribution and much more limited uh, capacity to produce it. So even if demand for cider is really high, uh, uh, somebody like Blake's or, or Virtue or Vandermill, we couldn't make that much. So we've been kind of limited like that, just as, as you know, again, your Bells and your Goose Islands were limited back in the 90s based on how much beer we could, we could make. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Uh, I do have a question in the chat, uh, thanks to our, our former uh, co-host, Mr. Matt Bush, which actually I'm going to rope into with uh, as part of my question. Uh, so I guess first, congrats on winning the 2020 Good Food Award, which uh, for those who don't know, those are given uh, to those who use locally grown ingredients, free of artificial ingredients, and uh, promotes resource conservation, among other things. Uh, obviously, with being in Michigan, we have quite a few apple crops in the state. Uh, I guess what I want to ask two things with uh, with Matt's question: What's the relationship like has been like in Michigan sourcing these local ingredients, and how do you feel about sugar uh, in terms of it helping or hurting ciders? Well, Rob, that's a really good question, and thanks for. Um uh, mentioning the, the good food award. That's one thing where maybe not as many people know about it, but, but we're really proud of it because the, uh, the other producers that, that won those awards, some of the best cheese makers and wine makers and chocolate makers and guys like Geechee boy grits out of South Carolina, all that stuff is just tremendous, tremendous company. So really exciting for us to be part of that. Um, we came to Michigan. I left Chicago to come up to Michigan because this is where the apples are. And where brewing is less dependent on where the ingredients are from because water is going to end up being 90, 95% of the product. So and if, you, if you've got local water, which we do in America, everywhere, um, you don't need to uh, move the water around. You just need to move around the malt and the hops. Cider, on the other end, is much more like wine. We don't add water to our cider. We get all our water out of the apple as a winemaker gets all his water out of the grape. So for us to move apples around, you know, it's, it's, that's all of our water in there too. So it's a little more expensive and we, um, and apples like grapes, uh, while you can store them, they don't store nearly as well as barley malt does. So um, we, we like to be where the apples are. 
And being on the west coast of, of Michigan, Michigan's got apple trees throughout the state, but we call it the cider coast because all the way from, from uh, down near uh, uh, New Buffalo, all the way up to uh, Leelanau, there are apples growing all around. And what's really cool is because we're right on the coast of Lake Michigan, the environment for growing them is very similar to the environment where apples are grown in Europe, where the big cider regions are. Normandy and Brittany in France, those are both coastal. Um, places like Somerset in England, that's coastal. And then even in Spain, um, one that not everybody knows about in the cider world, but Asturias is on the no north coast, as is the Basque region. So apple trees do really well when they're on a coast because they get more rain, about 40 inches of rain a year. So that's what we get. So we don't have to do any, we don't have to do any irrigation. And very few orchards that I know of uh, do irrigation. Mostly it's for brand new trees that just went in that year. I see. All right. Well, actually, I'm going to include both of you on this next question because uh, it's time to kind of talk about what uh, the rest of the crew is drinking, being the uh, Bourbon County. Um, so there was obviously I, I had just saw it the other day on YouTube. I'm surprised I had not seen it sooner. Uh, but there was the 12 part docu series, which uh, which is available on YouTube called Gritting Grain, uh, which talks a good deal about BCBS. Um, the you know, bourbon, the creation of different flavor profiles. Um, I saw that there is a book as well. Uh, I guess I'm curious, and both, both of you were a, a part of the process of this, uh, if there was something you felt that you missed uh, or left out while making the series or the book that you wished you could have add, added to it, and what was your favorite parts about learning and producing the docuseries? Man, that is a, that's a tough question. That was, um, that was my, uh, first or my second year at Goose Island. Um, I remember, uh, we were going to tell the the story or I wanted to tell the story of the 2015 rare It was only the second time we ever did it. And, uh, you know, 2015 rare, we got 35 year old barrels in from heaven Hill. They never used them because, uh, the liquid inside just wasn't up to their, standard to release a brand, but we got them in and thought we could highlight those barrels with, with beer. And it turned out phenomenal. And, and we were going to tell that story. And while we we're going through the motions of figuring that out, um, I was like, I don't think we've ever, or people are telling me, I don't think we've ever really told the story of Bourbon County before. Maybe we should just tell the whole story and that could just be a part of it. And, and we were going to so, tell that story. Uh, that's what we decided to do and, and uh, spent um, a couple months to the, the summer uh, figuring out how to tell the story and, and going down to uh, bourbon country and uh, uh, working with our friends at Heaven Hill and telling their story on how they make uh, bourbon and uh, meeting with uh, some loggers and uh, some coopers uh, uh, down in Missouri and telling how barrels made and, and just very, very fascinating, very eye opening. I was never into bourbon that much back then. I loved bourbon barrel aged beers, but I wasn't really into just drinking bourbon and because of that whole story, I, I really got into it. I mean, the, the one thing I remember is when we went down to Heaven Hill and it was uh, like a cold day in March and they opened up the Rick House doors and this blast of like cold air that just smelled like bourbon hit me. And I was like, oh, this is this is something else. And uh, sipping bourbon with them and trying different brands that just opened Pan's, Pandora's box for me. So um, it was cool to tell that story. Um, uh, 
highlight for me was working with Greg and getting to interview him uh, in the original uh, Clybourne Brew Pub and have him tell the the whole story of how this kind of went together in his words. Um, so that was a lot of fun. Uh, the book was put together a few years back, kind of behind the story uh, of the story uh, thing, because we had so many beautiful pictures and, and more to, to say. Um, so I think we I think we did a good job. There's not too much I'd change with that. Um, uh, our team, uh, internal, you know, Ken Hunnameter and and uh, Seth Eckbert, they they did a good job. Sergio was helping us at the time. They did a good job capturing the the video. I think the book filled in the gaps, if that makes sense. And and that thing's uh, hopefully going to be you know be able to carry on for for a long time after uh, us to to tell that story. Um, but it, it, it was a lot of fun. I, I just, I just remember opening those Rick house doors. That's the one thing that, I, that st- stands out from that project. Um, uh, and, and being able to, uh, go back and revisit it and, uh, you know, uh, live through, you know, the story of, of Bourbon County, the, the beer we're drinking, you know, it, it takes, uh, the better part of over a lifetime, you know, over 80 years, if you were to plant a seed today of an oak tree and have it grow, make it into a barrel, age whiskey, make the beer. So kind of, it's humbling, you know? Right. Greg, anything to add to that? Uh, you know, it's um, it was when, when we started making the mitten, um, I'd been doing barrel eight, you know, Bourbon County for uh, around 20 years and uh, felt like I knew how to get everything out of a barrel. Um, but with the mitten, uh, putting cider in there is obviously quite a bit different than than any kind of beer, but especially a, a giant uh, uh, Bourbon County stout type beer, um, Imperial stout that has a lot of residual sweetness. So the, um, the original uh, mitten that we put in there came out and it was so hot. Uh, we were going to do some back sweetening, but we decided to do a little bit more and we've, we've kept doing it like that. So we actually press apples one season, uh, ferment it out, put it in, a, in the barrel for a whole year, and then we get the next season's apples to press and put in the uh, to back sweeten to give it a little more sweetness, which I'm sure you can taste, and a little more of that uh, ripe apple character. Yeah. Now, now, as you said, I mean, you've been you've been barrel aging for for up to or more, like more than twenty years. Um, now, when I I was looking watching the the grit and grain that was talking about. Uh, you guys submitting the Bourbon County Barrel Stout, or brand Stout, uh, to GABF, the Great American Beer Festival, back in 1995, and it got disqualified because you put it up as a Russian Imperial Stout, and it did not, it, it was not true to style. Uh, but clearly, the style was something that was very innovative in, in talking about the, the flavors that were coming from it. Uh, I'm curious about the creation process and you know you're pretty much considered greg the the father of barrel aging beers and i'm curious about what went into that innovation of deciding hey i'm going to throw this into a bourbon barrel let's see what happens um well you know we uh uh the the story's right there in both um the book and the uh and the video. So I don't, I won't go too deep into that, but just thinking about the beer itself, um, the putting video, something in the barrel. Sorry, sorry to interrupt, Greg. The video is on YouTube. It's called grit and grain. And the book is called 
Grit and grain. Grit and grain. There we go. I was trying to to lead it and make sure you guys push it. You got to be, you know, sellers. Uh, Was it ABS? ABS always be selling. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Sorry. Continue. I kind of <laughs> derailed you there. No, no worries. Um, but you know, we're coming up on our 1,000th batch of beer, and um, uh, Larry Bell used to do special releases for batch 500, 1,000, 1,500. And I'd always pick those up at what was then called Sam's um, because it was really cool. Uh, and they were, they're all different. So I thought, okay, we're coming up on batch 1000. We got to do something really cool for that. And uh, right before, about um, a month or so before I did a, uh, a, a beer and extra is the fall before I did a, a beer and, and uh, bourbon dinner with Booker No, and uh, asked him if I could grab some some barrels, and uh, he uh, he agreed. So we got them shipped up, and you know the barrels came in, and they smelled great. And I'm thinking, okay, what are we going to put in here that's going to not get completely overwhelmed by these barrels? So we took a um, we made I took kind of the original recipe we'd used at the brew pub for our uh, imperial stout, and then uh, changed a little bit. Uh, put in um, a lot more malt, uh, and uh, it ended up uh, ended up going pretty well. We also I, I wanted to make sure it wasn't going to stall out in fermentation, so I way over pitched it, and uh, the next day it was it was all over the floor. The brew was covered in foam from it. Um, that was great, is it? Is it true that uh, you couldn't fit any more grain into uh, the mash tun? It was you put as much as you could in there, and it, it would you couldn't put one more teaspoon in there. Yeah, well, it was it, it had started to come out the uh, <laughs> the dandor where we where I stirred it from. Um, so I, I I had a bunch of uh, like bar towels there and uh, clean bar towels, of course, <laughs> and like put those on the door so it wouldn't. I'll seep out, but some, some did come out. We got as much grain as we possibly could in there. It was uh, awesome. you know, a little 10 barrel brew house uh, at the Goose Island Clybourne pub. that's still there today. Now I have a question for you guys and it doesn't involve beer. It doesn't involve cider it involves Chicago. And it's something I just don't understand about Chicago. And I'm hoping you can help me. What is Malort and why do you people love it? <laughs> Mike is shaking his head no for those of you watching the video. But I just I just don't get it. Like I, I know what's got wormwood in it, but why why is why did Malort become the Chicago uh cordial liqueur, whatever you want to call it? Um I'll I'll take a stab at it first. Um I, I honestly don't know. I wish we had personally something better to represent Chicago. Um but I will say uh the first time I had it Many years back, it was uh, someone, can I buy you a shot mentality? And I was like, sure, why not? I'm not going to turn it down. And you take it. And then I immediately was like, what the hell is that? As I was like wheezing and everyone was laughing at me. Um, so I think it's, you know, it's a combination of uh, the reaction you get from people that don't understand it. I think it's something that you definitely, if you go down that Malort aperitif like Wormwood, uh, it, it's a, you know, it's an acquired taste 
in my mind. It's something you build up to. And if you like it, great. There's many different liquors in the world. Um, I do think it has a little, it does speak to Chicago though. You know, it's like Chicago is a great place to live in the, you know, the two days of spring we get every year in the summer. Um, but after the, the week of fall and the, the eight and a half months of, of cold and snow and winter, um, that pretty much describes Malort. You know, it's just like you take it, you're like, you're in for something. But at the end of the day, it does have alcohol in it. So it'll, it'll warm you up, give you that liquid jacket you need to, to survive. So that's my two cents. We're drinkers in Chicago. We drink, we drink beer. We drink uh, bourbon. Um, we certainly drink cider. We drink pretty much everything. Um, but uh, Malort is from Chicago. So it was originally produced in Chicago. And it was really the one kind of branded spirit that called Chicago home. So just like um, you know, people drink bourbon all over, but not to the level they drink bourbon in Kentucky. Of course, um, you know, and, and whether it's uh, uh, like a, 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 a Napa Cabernet Sauvignon, they drink more of that in California than they drink in West Virginia, for instance. But um, I think I think why people drink Malort is it's so associated with Chicago, so much so that they actually now have kind of the Chicago colors on the packaging um, from the Chicago flag. And uh, that, I think, makes it um, our, our own that we're proud of. And, uh, you know, we are um, – there you go. See the Chicago the flag Je- on Jepsons. Jepsons Lord. Yep. Now I, I, the, the, it was, I'm going to be honest. It was a little bit of a setup because Mike, I'm going to, I'm going to hit you where it hurts a little bit because I want to talk about um, an incident from about a half a decade ago. Uh, Bourbon County had a huge issue uh, with an infected, uh, infect, in, infects, God damn it. I was going to say infestation, but that's not the right word. Infectious. Yeah, they were infected. Let's go. Um, so my question to you is, is that because you were the associate brand manager at that time um, of the uh, Bourbon County, how obviously you got the call, like what was your guys' steps? Because I, to, to my, me personally, you guys went above and beyond. You said, you know, tell us how much it costs and we're going to send you a rebate. That easy, like that you went above and beyond. More people might, you know, a lot, a lot of businesses might just say, you know, oh, well, that's what beer is. That's what kind of happens. But for you guys, I mean, you guys had a massive national issue. Talk to me as an employee. Like, how did you go through that? What what else did you guys do that maybe us consumers didn't really notice because it was, you know, very behind the scenes? Um, but, you know, I kind of want to see what happens when something to that nature happens, that huge amount of infectious beer. Yeah. Um, before I answer that though, I just want to point out that this bottle, uh, it's got a pretty good amount left. This is seven years old. So it's, <laughs> it's taken a while to get through this. Is that when someone comes in and you ask them if they want a shot? Oh yeah. I'm welcome to Chicago. <laughs> um, no, that's, it's a, it's a great question. You know, um, before I, I worked at Goose Island, I was a huge fan of Bourbon County. I, I was in line at Black Friday. I was there for the release of 2010 Rare at the, the Marcy Street location and, and uh, missed out on that opportunity. I had to find another bottle at a different store. But uh, when I started working at Goose Island, I, I was, I'm still to this day very grateful. I'm a, I'm a huge fan uh, on, on top of being an employee there. Um, the day that I got back from a uh, holiday break, 
uh, in 2016, um, there, you know, there was uh, some whisperings of there might be an issue with Bourbon County. And uh, immediately my, my heart just dropped into my chest. And I was like, of all the things in 2015, 2015 was the year we went to the new 16.9 ounce bottle uh, that, that I think is just so damn cool looking with the flag on top. We, we had just some uh, amazing releases. We just released Grit and Grain. We had the, the rare number two. I mean, just so many things, great things coming out of that year. And we get back and, and that, you know, happened and my heart just sunk. And uh, it, it hurt. It, it hurt everybody. You know, it's, you know, uh, it's very emotional. There was some, some tough meetings where we had to decide, you know, what are we going to do? And uh, once again, no one ever brought up the, the fact that we need to take care of our, our, our uh, fans and, and make this right. So um, thank you for what you said. I, I think we did put a lot of thought. We, uh, we did a, a huge refund, refund to, to take care of the, you know, the customers that bought it. Um, we sent out some T-shirts to them as a thank you. We vowed to to fix the process, um, but I think the the biggest thing that came from that year, and it goes back to Greg, you can speak to this. Goose Island for more than thirty years has been about quality, the quality of the beer, and every step of the way, every single year, no matter who's been there, um, that's the the first thing in our mind. And we we went back to that, and we we uh, did a lot of research to find out uh, what the issue uh, was, and uh, we went to fix it and. And uh, it, that's the way it is with all of our beers. You know, there's uh, other breweries, you know, beers don't work out all the time. Like Greg talked about earlier, there's a lot of, you know, things that could happen and you got to monitor along the process of making beer. And, you know, we owned up to it and we always will. It's something that uh, we want to make sure we're getting the best product out there. Um, that unfortunately did not work out. It, uh, it, 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 it was tough. It was real tough to me that, and a lot of people on the team, but we tried to make it right. Uh, we learned from it, and I think every year uh, Bourbon County has grown. It's gotten uh, uh, bigger and better in my eyes, and uh, every year we seem to outdo ourselves a little bit more to to put together an unbelievable lineup. And uh, I'll say it again: like last year, you know, the year before that, I thought those lineups were great, and here we are this year. I think all seven variants. I know I apologize; you guys only have four of them right now, but uh, they're all they're all amazing, and and you can compare them against against any other barrel aged stout out there. Uh, and I'd be shocked if it, if it wasn't uh, number one or within the top top uh, few. So, I mean, you can send the rest of a, those to us later. That's okay. Hey. <laughs> done, okay, okay. Done. I gotta I gotta send you one of these guys. This is the the grit and grain book. Forgot to give yes. that in there. So I'll get that I out. I just to you went guys on too. Amazon to order it. There you go. <laughs> um, so I just want to jump in here real quick because I want to address what you were just saying because. Um, when that happened, I was still kind of new to the beer scene and um, I did get a bottle that was infected. I did not return it because um, I saw that what you guys were doing and I just thought it was amazing the way that you were responding to it. And I actually started my vertical that year. <laughs> so okay. I'm, I'm really thankful that I got that 2020 this year to add to it because I did not get a ticket to be able to buy it this year. <laughs> oh, man. Well, hopefully, uh, hopefully we'll have some more, uh, out there. We can, uh, figure out a way to, to get some, we we're you know, a lot of people understand it. It, this is not a, a beer. You just flip a switch and make more on our end. It, a lot of time, uh, and you know, time's the biggest thing and resources that go into it. And, uh, we can't speed up aging this beer for a minimum of, of eight months. So, uh, we're trying to make as much as we can and get it out to you guys. Um, 
but it's, it's, if you see it on the shelf or you get it, buy it because it's, it doesn't last long. That actually leads me into my next question, because I'm just curious, how many um, barrels did it take to make this year's batch? How many barrels? Definitely more than the original six that Greg started with, but less than what you get in any Rick house down in Kentucky. Um, there's, you know, they're, de- they're dealing with a good amount of barrels. Um, it's something that our brewers on top of making a, a great Imperial stout, um, they are just, they're, they've turned into master blenders. And, and Greg talked about this earlier. It's, it's really hard because you can get 10 barrels and everyone's going to taste a little different, but to know, to pick which ones and blend them together to get a consistent, uh, taste, just like in the bourbon industry is a true talent. And our brewers are extremely good at doing that these days. And uh, I will say we're, we're blending thousands of barrels every year to get Bourbon County. Um, and we can only do a few hundred barrels at a time per batch. So a lot of people don't know there's, there's multiple batches that are made uh, just because of the size of our tankers and the process to, to get it into package uh, that they have to be consistent with. So um, I'll say that, you know, thousands of barrels every year and, and we try to make it as, as uh uh, the same every year. And, and I think they do a fantastic job every year. It's a little different. The weather's a di- little different, hot, cold expansion, contraction, of the barrel is going to make it taste a little bit different. Uh, we, you know, use different barrels from different distilleries. So you're going to get a little bit of nuances, but, uh, they're, they're really good at what they do. Uh, real quick from the, uh, the chat, cause we've got a few questions from the chat. I just wanted to ask, uh, while we're still on the topic of bourbon County, um, are you guys flash pasteurizing bourbon County right now or, uh, is that something not? Yeah, it's it's a great question, and it's something that uh, we we definitely uh, don't uh, you know dance around um, because of what we learned from 2015. We do flash uh, pasteurize uh, Bourbon County Stout now, and uh, I will say that uh, it, it does not affect the taste of the beer uh, when you flash pasteurize Bourbon County Stout. It's just really. Uh, making sure that uh, anything that's in that beer that shouldn't be is hopefully uh, killed off. We still uh, it's still packaged the right way and send sent out in the world um, for people that age it. You know, we say up to five years or whatnot. It's not going to impact the taste of that particular beer because of what it is. But uh, we do want to do we do that now to to hopefully not have a revisit of what happened has happened before. If this was a different beer, if it was an IPA, if it was one of our wild Belgian ales, um, this would be a completely different conversation. But uh, we do it, and, and it, it guarantees you know what we put in the bottle is, is going to stay what we put in the bottle. And I'll even go a step further. We've blind tasted many uh, brewers at our brewery that have been there for many years making Bourbon County, not telling them which one's been pasteurized and which one uh, was not or pulled off the line. Uh, even months and years after we've been doing it. And uh, they, they, you know, I don't think anybody's really nailed it on the head, which one taste wise would be different. So. Yeah. I, um, um, to echo that, I was going to say the same thing, Mike, um, Jared Jankowski was a brewer at the time, a brewmaster in 2016. Uh, he actually called me back in um, amongst many of the other brewers and we did triangulars which is where you've got two A's and a B. You don't know which is which. Um, and you're not asked to, to say which one's better. You're just asked to say which one's different. And then statistically, you get enough people doing it. Some people are going to um, randomly pick one that's different. But if it's under um, 
50%, then it's, it's absolutely indistinguishable. And, uh, that's, that's what it is. I, I could not tell the difference. And I did it like three times cause I was worried. I was skeptical that flashing, uh, the beer might uh, lose some of the aromatics, but in fact it, it doesn't. So, uh, what it does is it, it guarantees the stability of the beer long-term and I'm drinking a, uh, 2010 here. I've got a, I've got the 2008 uh, rare, which we packaged in in uh, 2010. Um, and then I've actually got. Can you one. hold on to that one, Greg, just for a couple weeks till I get up there with you? I'm asking for yeah, a friend. Sure. Bottle 14. <laughs> I've got bottle the, 14. Wow. There's two cases still. So I got bottle one somewhere. And then here I got a. a this is um, batch 1402 the legendary um, 1402, which I believe was our 2003 first test batch when we were releasing it in draft in Chicago. Um, And then we just, we didn't have labels for it. We didn't, we didn't know if there'd be a market for a package. So uh, we just ran some bottles so we could give them away to our, uh, our brewers. And I've got um, five of these left. So that would have been, yeah, 2003. I believe. Um, and if I open it right now, I guarantee it'd be delicious. Might actually be a little less dark. Um, I've had um, some of the, the, the original batch, uh, a guy named um, Seth Gross. Seth, if you're out there listening, cheers. Uh, he's got a brewery now down in um, Durham, North Carolina, Bull City Brewing and makes great beer. And, uh, also the best burgers in town, but he was, uh, my assistant back then along with uh, Miguel Nigitama and he filled, I think like 30 growlers of, of the first batch of BCS and held on to him for a long time. And I probably had the last one, maybe five years ago. And a lot of the, uh, color had dropped out. It was like the darkest red. Like if you looked at it, um, in the glass, it looked black, but if you held it up to the light, it was definitely very dark red and it smelled fantastic. It smelled like if uh, Rodenbach in Bourbon County had a baby, that was what it smelled like. So, Greg, actually, I'm glad you chimed in. This question I have here is for you. Um, you're definitely ahead of your in the you're definitely ahead of the times when it comes to making beer, making cider from the barrel age now cider here, which is taking off. What do you think is the next craze that's going to happen that right now everyone's like, no, this is stupid. But 10 years from now, everyone's going to be, you know, fighting each other in the parking lot to try and get in line to get those two or three bottles. I'm sure there's never been a fight over Bourbon never, County. Ever. Never, never. <laughs> what do you what do you think that next craze is going to be? Well, I think, um, uh, you know, we've we've kind of rolled our way through ingredients a little bit. Um, as, as, uh, craft beer got big first, it was kind of about the malt and the color of the beer, you know, back in the nineties. The and then certainly, um, the last, uh, 10 or 15 years, it's been about the hops. Um, I think, uh, one of the great unexplored things that a lot of people are exploring, but it hasn't really gone to scale yet is, is fermentation. 
So um, whether it's, um, you know, Belgian style lambic stuff or uh, a quake from uh, Norway um, or, or different brand new strains, we're playing around with all sorts of different strains we find on local fruit in Michigan for cider. So I think, I think fermentation, um, which is the core of what makes beer beer to begin with, I think that's what's coming. Um, you know, Brett had its little time. Um, you know, we started making Matilda in 2005 with Brett. Um, and at the time it was like, uh, uh, Tommy from, um, uh, Los Angeles and San Diego, uh, Tommy Arthur was doing Brett beers and not a whole lot of other people were back then. Um, La Folie came out around then from, uh, New Belgium. And, um, uh, you know, there was a, there was, we were, we were trying to say sour is the new hoppy back in like 2008, um, hasn't happened yet, but I think, um, sours will continue to get big, but really more of the just straight up alternative fermentation. Um, there's, there's, there's more opportunity with fermentation than there is with malt or hops to differentiate beers. So, uh, I, I, I love that. I'm going to say it's probably going to be Malort in 10 years. <laughs> <laughs> so Mike, actually, I'm glad you chimed in here too. Cause the next question I have is for you, because I was thinking while we're doing this interview, um, something that came to my mind really uh, pre-COVID here back in February is a local place to have something of, of Goose Islands that got me remembering from a couple of years ago. And I sat here thinking about it tonight. It's been three, four years. Is there any chance, if you can answer this, are we ever going to see the the barley wine come out ever again? Or is that a thing of the past? Ooh, the old barley wine <sighs> question. Um <laughs> You've heard this before. <laughs> I have, you know, um, I, I thought barley wine was amazing. Like talk about a, a departure from a barrel aged stout into a different style. That was great. Um, so Greg, when they were done with those, uh, uh, 2010 rare barrels, put the barley wine in there that we fell in love with and made King Henry, which is on my top five list of all time beers, regardless of anything. And, and really got me into barley wine. So to see that come back in the portfolio, I think it was 2013. Uh, and it was in there for, for a few years after that. Uh, we retired it when we added coffee to it, which was a fun mistake that we did at Fobab, if anybody wants to look into that. Um, and it's been a couple of years. Um, we, we don't ever write off beers. We retire them for a little bit, and uh, there's always a chance to uh, have them come back. So, um, yeah. You just keep keep uh, checking in with us, and, and I'm I'm sure you'll see something here uh, sooner than later. Nice. All right, now from and this my kids got sorry, I was just going to mention uh, um, both my kids got beers named after them for their tenth birthday. So my daughter Sophie, of course, in 2009, and then um, my son Henry in 2011. Oh, that is awesome! I did not know that. That's cool. All right. So actually, this question is for both Greg and Mike. Um, now, from local forums to beer advocate to now, obviously, untapped social media surrounding uh, beer has been growing just as beer does. 
what I'm curious of is that as a brewer, you know, owner of a cidery and a brand manager, what do, what role does social media play in your everyday craft life? You want to take this one first, Greg? <laughs> yeah, my, my answer is pretty quick. Um, really nothing at all. Uh, I, um, I'm, I'm still a book guy, so uh, I like to read books. Um, and uh, I get on social media every once in a while. But I, I stopped long ago looking at uh, um, the rate beers and the uh, beer advocates. Um, and not that there's anything wrong with them. I think they're absolutely fantastic forums and a great way to learn about beer and learn what's out there. I wish I would have had that when I was uh, a young brewer and a young drinker um, back in the eighties, you know, we didn't, all we had back then was the uh, Michael Jackson pocket guide to beer. And, and uh, you know, that was it. There's nothing else. So uh, if you want to learn about beer, you, you read the pocket guide. Um, And uh, it's, uh, changed so much. There's so much information out there. And I think that's great. I think that's great. Um, it's just not where my interest is learning about stuff. I know that there's a lot of brewers that kind of follow the trends really quickly. And, and the thing is you can now do that um, immediately, pretty much. I remember must have been three years ago now, I was out in Portland, Oregon, and um, John Harris, who was Longtime brewer. He was the first brewer at Deschutes and longtime brewer at Full Sail. And now he's got ecliptical or ecliptic brewing um, out in Portland. He, he, he invited me. I was in Portland. He's like, hey, you should come by. We're having an IPA festival. So I went by and there were like six people that had brewed IPAs. I'm like, what the fuck are all these? Excuse my French there. What's well, you're the Bourbon County talking. What's with all these? Okay. Uh, what's with all these um, brewed IPAs? never seen these before and the next thing i know there's you know they're in chicago then i go over to norway for a festival like two months later and there's like more brewed ipas in norway than there were in portland um you know so trends can like catch fire right now and i think that's there's nothing wrong with that at all i think that's pretty cool i'll just say social media is great like greg's saying um there's a lot of armchair uh, uh, brewers and people that think they could do it better, know everything out there. Uh, and it's great. You know, it's fun to see what people are excited about. Um, I, you can definitely go down a a wormhole pretty quick though. Um, but you know, we, you know, I look at it, I think it's fun to hear people comments. I I don't take anything true to heart because there's a lot that goes into making a beer that people that drink and only drink it, uh, don't understand. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's fun. It's a good way to interact with with people, learn about some beers. Um, but I, I don't recall one time ever going into anything, any conversation with a brewer being like, all right, let's base this next beer off of what uh, uh, Tapman 647 said in Cincinnati. You know, so I'm more of a Tapman 646 kind of guy. Greg, is yeah. that an 84 burner stove behind you? Jesus. <laughs> if you guys are watching better on draft.tv we are live fridays at seven this is a special thursday show but the video you can go check it out on youtube 
uh, he got up real quick to go grab uh, a book. I don't know what book it is, but I just saw he had like a 16 burner stove. Yeah, I've got a big um, Aga English um, stove. Uh, Maybe we need to do a cooking with dad with Greg. Yeah. I'm just thinking that. I don't even know what I'd use three of those burners for. Uh, Greg, what book did you want to show us? Um, so instead of social media, I, I go find books on um, like this. Uh, the, the History uh, and Virtues of Cider. Yes. And imagine how happy I was when it said the virtues of cider. And this was, you know, I found this book like three years ago at um, – at uh, Powell's, you know, Powell's in Portland, Oregon. Um, you know, I, I go through looking at used books and looking for cider books. And sure enough, there is um, there's a cider book written by R.K. French, um, published in 1982. So you read that, it's, it's pretty interesting. Um, I like to go back... Um, for my uh, information. And really the best thing to do is for me is to um, visit with uh, brewers and visit with, with cider makers. So get on the road and uh, uh, you know, we, and my travels have, is very much influenced what I've made. So first started going to England and made ales, um, went over to um, uh Belgium and, and Cologne and had Kolsch beer for the first time. So we started making Kolsch. Uh, then I started going to Belgium all the time and we made stuff like Matilda and Madame Rose and Sophie, more uh, Belgian influenced stuff. Uh, then in 2000, I took a bunch of the Goose Island brewers over to England and we visited a bunch of awesome breweries and while we were up in the city of York, right after we had visited um, Sam Smith, uh, we ended up going into a cider festival. It was completely unplanned. We went to a pub and they were having a cider festival there at the Maltings in the city of York. And it was like, whoa, all these, these ciders are great. You know, we didn't know. We're like, the mystery has revealed itself. There's great cider out there, you know, because we, we at the time had been like, so there's, there's woodchuck and then there's the other woodchuck. And then what else is, are there other ciders besides that? So we had had those two woodchucks and um, we're not super impressed at the time. Uh, so then we uh, had all these English ciders and I decided I had to do that next. So here we are. All right. So I got one more that I want to line up here. Um, and just kind of go back to uh, Bourbon County. And obviously with, with Bourbon County and, and how long it has been out in its consistency and, and how it has kind of uh, gripped the craft beer nation, um, the trend that was created has definitely caused a stir in the beer black market uh, that – pretty much causes both Bourbon County and other barrel-aged stouts to reach some astronomical prices. Uh, as brewers uh, of BCBS, um, selling a bottle, uh, we'll say roughly around $12 to $15 a bottle, um, how do you feel about seeing those same bottles that you put out 
selling on a secondary market for anywhere from 150 to sometimes upwards to even $250 a bottle. <clears throat> Mike, let me take this. What I think is it's about damn time. Um, <laughs> what, you know, wine's been, wine has had a, a increasing value for, you know, centuries. Aged wine has vintage wine. Um, and beer never did. Um, beer was basically, unless you found like a, uh, pirate ship at the bottom of the ocean with some porter in it or something. Um, uh, beer, um, you know, after a year or so was never regarded as, as good as it was when it was fresh. So having beers that have an aftermarket, I think that is, uh, shows where beer has gotten to and it puts beer on that same level that wine's on now. And really? as well as, as well as things like bourbon, old bourbon. And, and the only thing I'll add to that is, you know, I, I hate, I hate to see it in some aspects if you want to like get into it, but I, I, I do love it. It's, it's something that Greg started by highlighting used bourbon barrels over 20 years ago, some Jim Beam barrels and uh, many years later, here we are. And now, um, you know, Ken, you're, you're drinking yours tonight, the, the birthday BCS, like to get uh, Old, Forester, Old Forester's birthday bourbon barrels from last year in 2019, put the same base beer in as original and get just a completely different taste profile and highlight that very sought after bourbon, you know, sells for 150, people sell it in the secondary market for over $500. We put that beer in it and uh, to see it still uh, get up there. It, it should be there. It's, it's a very sought after bourbon. We got to highlight it with our beer. Um, the only thing I ask is if, if you get a bottle of it, no matter how you get it, if it's worth $150 and, and you have it share with the right people, open it up, have, have the conversation we're having tonight. The reason I love barrel aged beers is you can't slam them like a, like a IPA or a lager. Um, it, you got to slow time down like we are right now, tell some good stories, make some friendships and, and you're going to remember it. So, uh, you're going to spend 200 bucks on a beer. Make sure you drink it with the right people. Wish you would have told me, I would have just pretended to drink this and drank some <laughs> other, some other beer and be like, Oh, this is very, very good. But now it's not. Yeah, right. It's all gone. Um, I don't always want to share. <laughs> <laughs> Wendy, what's on your mind? So I, one, would like to say thank you because uh, bourbon is one of my favorite things and beer is one of my favorite things. So the fact that you guys put them together makes me um, an extremely happy girl. But my question for you guys is, um, of all the variants that you've done over the years, um, what are your favorites? Is there one that stuck out to you more than the others that you didn't expect to be as good as it was, or just that you continue to want to drink over and over? I'm I'll answer first. Uh, besides <clears throat> prop 13. Um, I really, uh, can't name out one of your favorite kids if you want to look at it that way, but I, I absolutely love what we're talking about. You know, Bourbon County original will always be my favorite. I know it's cliche to say that, but when we get into these reserve series or the birthday or the anniversary this year with the 12 year Weller to highlight these special barrels that they can only use once a 12 year Weller barrel, they can't put more liquid in it and make more 12 year it's done. But for us to get it highlighted, it's original just with the barrel telling the story. Um, that's special. So I, I really do like original and I love where all these uh, 
barrel forward variants uh, have have gone and, and continue to take us. I'd say my favorite is the first uh, uh, barrel aged uh, variant. So the um, the Bourbon County Rare from back in uh, 2010. Um, those those Pappy barrels uh, were kind of um, a lifetime dream. I, I knew uh, you know Julian and would uh, see him when he'd come into Chicago for a whiskey fest, and uh, we'd hang out at Delilah's and drink bourbon back when I think that cost like uh, seventy bucks a bottle for a bottle of Pappy. Uh, they, they they were talking about it on NPR the other day. Uh, 200 an ounce. Um, geez, I should have bought cases and cases. We should have had one of those barrels that was full. Um, we, we did dump a lot of those barrels and got a little bit of spirit out of them. Um, but, uh, the, um, uh, that, that was just, that was like the best I, I thought we could ever do was, uh, getting those pappy barrels. And, um, you made us pay, uh, twice, twice as much for him. So instead of a hundred bucks a barrel, we had to pay 200 bucks. I wonder what he would charge today for those. So yeah, cheers. Cheers. Dan, what's, uh, what's on your mind over there? Oh boy. So this is going a little more fun getting a little away from beer, but you guys being Chicago guys, you know, in 2019 when Cody Parkey missed that field goal against the Eagles, a lot of people were livid. I'm going to go a different direction here. Was that really payback for what Paul Edinger did to the Lions in 2020 on Christmas Eve at the Silverdome when he hit that field goal he shouldn't have? What do you guys feel about that? Oh, geez, Dan. (laughs) Wow. That's digging deep right there. It is, but hey, hey. (laughs) Are the Lions still a team? That, That kick, I was at that game. That kick changed Lions football forever. And I hate to say it, but it's true. So I seeing mean, seeing the parky miss was amazing. Can we bring into what was it two weeks ago that that college team? The guy had the quadruple doink. Did you guys see that? No, no, I haven't. Top, <laughs> bottom, other side, bottom, and then fell forward. I think if we could oh, make that viral tonight again, <laughs> uh, it would give a little bit of relief from that kick. Um, being a Bears fan, I mean, the last time they won the, the Super Bowl, I was three years old, so I'm we're well overdue. Were you doing the Super Bowl shuffle or whatever? I was, <laughs> I was, I continue to. I, I've taught my kids, it's it's a family tradition now, cooking with the dad. I, I did go to the Super Bowl 16 at the Silverdome, so oh, nice. Right. Rob would have been a fan of that one, yeah. The Lions, I don't think we're in it though. <laughs> No, no, no. The Lions, the Lions don't get into any Super Bowls. We understand that. It's not easy being a uh, um, a Lions fan. Uh, the the chat is enjoying the uh, the poll and the uh, the burn. That's for sure, guys. Um, I know we asked for an hour, a little bit over. I appreciate you staying the extra few minutes. Um, I got one final question to kind of end it. Um, I appreciate you taking the time. But as Detroiters, we love Strohs. You guys are Chicago people. You got your old style. So the question is, Strohs or old style? Now, remember, Greg, you live in Michigan now. <laughs> I, I do. Actually, when um, when I was a kid growing up, my father had a uh, beer fridge in the basement 
I'm going to give you a little bit longer answer than you expected. That's fine. And um, when I was a little kid, like like sub 10, I would go to the beer store with him. You and, meant tw- sub 21, by the way. Yeah, no, like I was a little kid. I wouldn't drink beer, but I would go to the beer store, and I thought it was so cool that beer was from all these different countries. That was kind of my introduction to beer. But um, And he'd, he'd buy all, all sorts of cool stuff. Um, I, I know now. But uh, the one thing he would buy the um, full case of was was Stroh's. He was a um, fire brewed uh, guy, so uh, I'm, I'm a, I'd, I'd say Stroh's over Heilman in a second. Mike, um, I I'm probably going to get some heat for this, but I would say uh, Stroh's as well. Um, I've only been to uh, Detroit a couple times. And uh, there was this like mac and cheese place just outside of downtown. Like it was a old bowling lounge in the basement. Do you guys know what this is? I, I know the exact place you were at. And I'm trying to think of Sweet Lorraine's. Yes. Sweet Lorraine's. Yep. Yeah. So I went there a few years back and uh, I, I had never had a Stroh's. It, it had been, I'm embarrassed to say that, but they're like, have a couple. And that with uh, the <laughs> the sandwich, it, it was awesome. So I, I would take that over uh, the old style right now. Final oh, answer. All right. <laughs> uh, oh, there's the dog. Greg, Mike, thank you so much for joining us. I appreciate it, guys. You can find us live Friday nights. We're not going to be live tomorrow. Uh, if this podcast does go out for uh, Friday the 13th, we're going to be at Griffin Claus Clubhouse uh, doing a, a show for their Flying Buffalo release as well as the Black Grass Cider um, you know, introduction into the market. You can go check out our sponsors, North Center Brewing over in Northville, Michigan. Zatuna Liquor over in Rochester Hills, which you can get all these Goose Island beers if you are nice enough to Jack. Uh, I'm sure he'll help you make sure you can uh, secure a, uh, a bottle or two, uh, but make sure you are there on Black Friday. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, which is Better on Draft. You can find us on Twitch and uh, Untapped Bod Podcast, betterondraft.com. Of course, we are live Friday nights, betterondraft.tv that's gonna do it wow that's a lot of stuff i gotta say but no matter what you think of your beer guys we think it's better on draft have a good night cheers thank you guys cheers everybody